Hello, and welcome to a Walk of Faith podcast. I'm Maribel Mayorga, and I'm on a mission. I hope to orient and guide you through your journey of faith. But I cannot do it alone, so we will go through it together with the help of many friends. You may have a lot of questions, which is totally normal. In fact, I am happy that you have them. So don't worry, we're going to cover them and help you so that you don't feel alone. So, what are we waiting for? Let's get started. Today I'm happy <laughs> because you know this guy. <laughs> he was there on the first episode, Julian Paparella, and he's coming back because he's amazing. And of course, because of this theme, <laughs> he's an expert on this theme. He's studying, actually, he's finishing his doctorate in um, uh, about marriage and family over there in Rome, in the Institute John Paul II. So welcome back, Julian. Thank you, Mary Bell. I always love being with you. It's so nice to join you today. Julian, um, so in a couple of days, it's going to be Valentine's Day, right? And so what about, like, just talk about love, right? This huge subject, love. And since you're studying it and all that, um, I wanted to ask you some questions. And some questions, I think it's really important that we can, you know, dive in. And because um, these are essential questions for Catholics, you know. Uh, if, for example, we start with marriage, uh, uh, a lot of young people, young adults are asking if, first of all, if that's their vocation first. And second of all, why, why it's so important marriage for Catholics? Um, you know, many, there's a lot of temptation to go outside and to go, you know, uh, just celebrate uh, the union, you know, outside a country with like beside the beach and all that. But we don't really often understand why it's really important marriage and how God is between those two people, right? Because when we get, when we go and then we say yes, we're not just saying yes between you, me and, uh, and the, the guy or the girl, right? It has to be between three persons, which is me my husband, and God. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's really a crucial, like you said, essential question. I really see that there's sort of two aspects here. One is that every single one of us, every human heart is made for this spousal kind of love. Why? Because that's the kind of love that God is. He's this total outpouring of love for the good of the other that's faithful, that's free, that's fruitful. And that's what marriage is. So God as a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it might be funny to think of it that way, but he is this total outpouring of free, faithful, fruitful love. And that's the image that we are made in. We, as human beings, are made in the image of that kind of God. We're made for that kind of love. And so marriage, in our human experience, even long before Jesus came here to earth, marriage is an experience of sharing with one other person that kind of love that God has for us and that God wants to fill our hearts with so that they can overflow in building that type of relationship that he wants with us, with others. So that's a call for every single human being. 
doesn't matter what your religion is, doesn't matter if you have a religion or not, the human heart is made for that kind of eternal, deep, everlasting, loving relationship. And marriage is a way of living that out. And then for us as Christians, believing in God, trying to follow Jesus, that opens a whole new perspective on what this relationship with, with another person that marriage is, is mm -hmm. all about. You know? Because it helps us to realize that, like you said, it's not enough to just be two in a marriage. You run out of gas. Yeah. You know, I like this beautiful expression that a Christian is a beggar who knows where the bread is. All of us are beggars. All of us have this longing in our heart. It's part of being human. And a Christian is someone who's found this bread that is God, this bread that is Jesus, to be able to satisfy our longing. And not just one time, but every day in this ongoing journey of life. So God is really the key to every marriage. And for us as Christians, we try and discover that in a very intentional way, but it's also good news that we can share with others, how to discover God who is already there in the midst of our relationship, in the midst of marriage, in the midst of family life, and who wants to draw us to an ever greater fullness of love. Exactly. And this is an important point. You know, sometimes we tend to forget that, you know, we're, or we think about, you know, marriage is just between me, you and me, and then that's it. And then we do it for the fla fla and then the party and then all the et cetera thing. Um, but a lot of people, you know, they they just tend to forget that God is working, you know, uh, through Absolutely. marriage. Absolutely. How 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 can we explain that? That God, because first of all, yes, like you said, if you just you're two guys, you're gonna run out of gas and you need his presence because marriage life, marriage, the journey of that, it's up and down. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of discernment. There's a lot of um, um, um it's it's a learning journey at the same time, right? Um, Absolutely. So how is God working? Why it's how can God work through a marriage? I think the best teacher in this respect is really our own personal experience. Mm. I think all of us realize, Christian and non-Christian alike, that we can't do it ourselves. We can't make it through life on our own steam. We need help. We need other people. Ultimately, we need God. You know, we ourselves are not capable of giving ourselves everything that we long for and desire in life. Right from the moment of our birth, even our conception, we are dependent on other people. We're in this beautiful interdependent relationship with our parents at the outset, with other family members, with society, with our friends, with our coworkers. Sometimes in our individualistic society today, we want to ignore those deep bonds, those deep relationships that we have with other people by the fact of being human, by the fact of living in this world. Sometimes as if those relationships aren't even real or that you know, we have this illusion that we could do it alone. But we see in our experience that we're imperfect, that we have wounds, that we have flaws, and that we need something else. You know, in Christian language, we would call this salvation. Mm. And we realize through the experience of our life that none of us can save ourselves. 
None of us are truly happy by just being alone on our own deserted island, on our own planet somewhere in the universe, because we're made for relationship. John Paul II would talk so much about how we're made for communion, Yeah, that we are not just individuals, we are persons, and persons are made for communion. So in this respect, I think we can ask ourselves, not so much, oh, you know, why is God meddling in my marriage? You know, why is he coming to, to add his own presence? Why is he coming to, but rather, how is God already there, active and present in my very desire to love another person and to be loved by this other person? You know, if you're in a relationship, if you're thinking of marriage, if you're considering commitment, or if you're in a marriage, think back to how you fell in love with that person. Think back to that initial desire, that initial flame that was awakened within you. God was there. Oftentimes, we don't think in those terms. We put love on one side, God on the other side. But St. John tells us God is love. Any love that's true, that's deep, that's real, that's oriented towards others. God is at work there. God is present there. So how much more so is that true with marriage? Some people have called it the sandpaper of holiness because it's literally the most intense relationship that we could possibly have as human beings. It's every single day for the rest of your life until one or the other of you dies and goes home to God. Mm-hmm. You know, And it's such an incredible relationship, this relationship between man and woman, that it even creates other human beings. There's no other relationship that does that. And not just creates them in a merely biological sense, but brings them into the world, helps them discover what being human is all about. So it's not so much how does God, you know, kind of like this powder that we add to the top of the concoction of marriage. It's God is not some icing on the cake of marriage. He's not the cherry on the sundae. Rather, God is there step by step, right from the very outset. And he accompanies us so that our love through the ups and downs can become more and more authentic and life-giving. And something we often don't consider is that he is especially there in the difficult times, the times of woundedness, the times of sin, and the times of difficulty. Because our God as Christians is a God who redeems us. Mm -hmm. Christianity is a religion about redemption. Even for us as Christians, that's difficult to understand. Sometimes we think that we have a religion about purity, Mm -hmm. where God is only interested in if we make ourselves pure, and then, okay, maybe he'll take an interest in us. Rather, our God is a redeemer. That means he comes into the sticky situations, the ugliness, the woundedness, the darkness. He brings light there, and he transforms that bad situation into something good, into something beautiful. What would you say, for example, before marriage? Okay, uh, this girl or boy is thinking um, he's dating or she's dating. Um, because I know a lot of teens, I, I know a lot of young adults who who are wondering if he's the one, if she's the one, and uh, and then they get scared because uh, 
they might know the importance of marriage. They don't want to, you know, do the whole divorce. They don't want to do that. And and they get scared, especially if um, they see that the other person um, is not Catholic. And uh, yes, it's time for discernment. But at the same time, she or he is kind of stuck because, yes, the other person is nice. But what would I do? You know, what am I going to do? She or he is thinking about the future. Because as you said, you know, the beauty of marriage is, yes, it's create life too as well. Um, so what would you say to these uh, adults? They're thinking, but ah, there's a big uh, ambiguity there in their head, not knowing. And they get scared, especially scared. How can we reassure them? I think that fear, as each and every one of us knows, is part of being human. You know, it's a mm -hmm. normal part of life. And I think the fear of commitment also comes from realizing the weight of what that commitment means. And marriage is one of those weighty commitments, but it's actually a weighty commitment that's going to totally fulfill who we are. It's not something that's going to you know, take away who I am, but it's the fulfillment of who I am. Benedict XVI used to say, Jesus gives us everything and he takes nothing away. In other words, that nothing that truly fulfills us is taken away by these big weighty commitments that we make in life, whether it's marriage, whether it's following Jesus, whether it's being a priest or a sister these commitments that engage our whole self do not deny who we truly are. They fulfill who we truly are. Instead of realizing that, in fact, me being fulfilled comes from deep, mutual relationships with other people. It's not in cutting me off from other people, cutting myself off, distancing myself from others that I'm going to be happy. In fact, my fulfillment comes from entering deeply into relationship with others, which are also tricky relationships. No relationship is just cookie cutter perfect. Relationships can be tough. They are tough. They are tough. <laughs> you know? Sometimes you can't stand the person that you go <laughs> to bed next to, you know? I mean, you're we just, know you're married. Gosh. I'm married. <laughs> There's a Seinfeld episode that, you know, Kramer says, you know, marriage is a prison. You know, you get up, <laughs> she's there. You go to bed, she's there. You know? She's there. It, it, <laughs> The other person becomes inescapable, but we're not meant to escape from love and from relationship as human beings. Because if we escape from relationship, if we escape from commitment, we're actually distancing ourselves from what really fulfills us. So in this sense, I would say, you know, you're, the first part of your question here, commitment, it is a big commitment. That's why marriage needs to be discerned. Time is a great ally in that sense. You know, they say time is one of God's greatest messengers. You know, there's no rush to get married in six months, in a year. You know, there's also no point in just extending a dating relationship indefinitely just because we're not sure. But I think there's some kind of happy medium, which is going to be up to each couple to decide where you say, okay, you know what? We're not fully prepared. No one is fully prepared. But We have like the basic ingredients here to start baking. You know, it doesn't need to, it doesn't need to be the finished cake. We just need to have like enough of the basic 
ingredients in our relationship? What are some of those basic ingredients? You know, I think even if we don't have the same religion, you know, we could ask ourselves the question, is it possible that God called me to be married with someone who isn't Catholic as I am, you know, or I'm Catholic and here she is Christian, but not Catholic, or I'm Catholic and here she is Muslim. Mm-hmm. You know? God is in the life of every human person. That's one of the most profound convictions of Pope Francis. He's been saying it right from the start of his time as Pope. And that to me is one of the most important truths for us to remember. God is in the life of every single human person. So God is in the life of every Muslim, Catholic, indigenous person, Protestant, atheist, agnostic, you name it. It's a human person. God is present there. So of course God can call us into relationship with one another. Sometimes it requires that we really, you know, make an effort mm-hmm. to find common ground when it's not already necessarily there. But that's the same thing, whether it's religion or also culture, you know. Yes. My wife is French from France. I'm Canadian. You know, we learned very on in our dating relationship that it was going to require both of us receiving the other, including their culture. Mm-hmm. Just as the other person's family is part of who they are, so too their culture is part of who they are. You can't say, well, I like you, but not the country you come from. <laughs> Get away or your that parents, <laughs> or, you know, It's part of the whole person. And marriage is saying yes to that whole person, committing to that whole person. So I would say it's about saying, okay, do I really feel that in loving this person, my heart flourishes? Mm -hmm. Asking ourselves those deeper questions so that it's truly a spiritual discernment. Because if your capacity to love is flourishing with this person, God is at work there. And that's something to pay attention to. Even if the other person doesn't have exactly the same religious beliefs as you, your religious beliefs tell you God is there. And as Jacob says at one point in the book of Genesis, God was there and I was unaware. (laughs) So often we don't realize that he's there, that he goes before us. And he's already there long before we think of him there. That's the case with all our relationships in life. But I think focusing on those deeper movements of the heart. When I'm with this person, walking through life with this person, being in a relationship with this person, what are some of the fruits of that in me and also in my relationship with other people in Mm -hmm. my life, other than this person? If being in a relationship is just making both of us kind of enter into this fusion with each other, where we just kind of, we're just like magnets, where we just kind of stick to each other and we forget about the rest of the world. That's normal for a certain kind of early stage of most romantic relationships, but eventually it's going to mature much more deeply than that. And if it stays in that kind of just you and me, you know, and the rest of the universe kind of fades away, that's not really a relationship grounded in love. That's more Mm -hmm. a relationship where kind of possessing one another, kind of cutting ourselves off from each other, isolating ourselves from each other. So I think a really good barometer is in seeing whether or not this is really the relationship for me, what are also some of the effects of this relationship 
on the other good relationships in my life. In being in a relationship with this person, does it make me want to be more authentic, more loving, more genuine in my relationship with my own family, with my friends, with people in the community, especially with those in need, and with God? Or is it kind of turning me in on myself, making me think like only this person has any importance in my life and that's it, I can just cut off the rest of the world? You know, seeing in which direction are our desires leading us mm -hmm. and then following God on the path that he sets before us. You were talking about perfection. <laughs> mm. We, we, I mean, we're humans. We're poor humans here. <laughs> we're, we're sinners. And of course we want everything to be perfect. Um, and but especially we, ourselves. <laughs> we especially ourselves. Yes. Mm. And, and, but we know that uh, it's not true. We, we're, we're not, we're, we're mm. not perfect, right? We're not perfect. Everyone is not perfect. Everyone, especially, well, if you're thinking about, you know, getting married or just dating, uh, he or she will never be perfect. So put that in your mind. That's for sure. That he or depend she will on never, that. Exactly. And you too, you are not perfect. So just mm. start like that. Mm -hmm. Start like that because we're not perfect here. Mm. But the thing is that when, you know, you were talking about, you know, the length of, you know, Um, the marriage, you know, if we're thinking really seriously about that. And a lot of people are waiting for, oh, when I have this amount of money, when I have this house, when I have this, I just want it to be perfect because da, 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 ex excuses, right? Mm. What is the danger about that? Because they, there is, you know, um, or also, what would you say to, to people who... <laughs> To that they want that to be perfect. Of course, we're not saying here that your love relationship is gonna suck <laughs> and then not, mm -hmm. but of we want it as perfect as possible. You we're on this journey, but perfection in this world, is it mm. possible in this mm. world? I'm not talking about heaven. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about here. What would you say to these people that they're waiting? That yeah. oh, when he's gonna change about that, when I'm gonna change about this, what you know? First of all, I think it's important that we not, you know, we're not here to criticize mm. anybody. Like you said, this desire for perfectionism is often part of just yeah. everyday normal human experience. You know, sometimes on one hand, you know, we can tolerate other people's weaknesses much better than we can tolerate our own, and sometimes mm. it's in the reverse. Opposite. You know. Mm -hmm. My weaknesses are just fine. You know, I can do whatever I want. I can make whatever mistakes I want because after all, I'm only human, you know, that classic <laughs> line. But other people, oh, if they mess up, if they make a mistake, oh, it's, it's unforgivable. It's just awful. Mm -hmm. It's horrendous. You know, how dare they? So you're absolutely right, you know? And, and my question would be like, does God call us to perfectionism? No. He's much more lucid than that. He's much more wise than that. He knows that we're not, perfect in this human sense that we want, you know, that we're never going to make a mistake, that we're always going to be just as we're supposed to be. He knows that we're not like that. You know? mm -hmm. He's our father. He knows that his children are not just perfect like that. That's why he sent his son to save us, to transform us, to renew us, to lead us on a journey of gradually becoming more and more his beloved sons and daughters.
you know. He doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. That you can see all the way through scripture with the apostles, for example. Here's Matthew sitting at a tax collector booth, mm -hmm. you know, embroiled in his greed for money, kind of ripping off his fellow Jews, serving the treacherous Roman Empire. And Jesus comes right there and he calls him, you know, and Pope Francis would say, you know, he had mercy on him and he called him. And for us as humans, oftentimes those two are separate, you know. If I need to have mercy on you, that means that you're kind of, you know, you made a mistake, you're mm -hmm. kind of weak, you're flawed. And so I don't really necessarily want to choose you. In God, those two go together. He chooses to have mercy on us. And in having mercy on us, he chooses us. You know? How does that inform our way of looking at other people? And especially with these people that were called to have these most intimate, most intense relationships of life with. You know? So we can never expect that our spouse, that our boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance is ever going to be perfect. You know, if we're waiting for perfection, you know, heaven will come and then maybe, you know, we'll have perfection, though I think that perfection will look much different than the kind of perfection we often yeah. seek here on earth. But it's rather growing with each other. That's much more of an adventure. That's much more interesting. Instead of just kind of waiting as some passive bystander for either me or the other person to just magically become perfect, how about saying, well, yeah, this person's not perfect. How can we help each other to grow? You know, how can we be like an orchard together, trees growing together through life, bearing fruit together, you know, enduring together throughout all the days that we share, the years, the decades that we share with each other? You know, not because we're perfect, because both of us are growing, we're becoming something new all the time, you know, because God is constantly at work with us. John Henry Newman would say, you know, in heaven it is otherwise. But here, down below, on earth, to live is to change, and to live well is to change often. And I think that's mm -hmm. definitely true in marriage. You've yeah. got to change often. Yeah. Because marriage is going to reveal those kinds of things. Any kind of loving relationship, close relationship with another human being is going to reveal those areas that you're most struggling with. Let's say you're a person who has difficulty listening and being attentive to others. Well, I can tell you, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, maybe especially your girlfriend, your wife is going to point that out to you very clearly because that's part of loving is really being attentive, listening, welcoming what the other has to share with me. So if I'm you know, lacking in that department, that's going to be something that I have to, to work yeah. on. You know? So I think you know, having God's gaze on ourselves and on each other. It's a merciful gaze. It's a gaze that doesn't expect us to just be perfect, but it's a gaze that helps us to grow, that leads us on a journey, and that always draws us deeper. I think the magical word here is grow, growing. Uh, since we're not perfect, I think we must grow. I think we must learn. Mm, it's just logical <laughs> that we absolutely. have to learn about ourselves. And, mm. and then about the other person too as well concerning your relationship. Mm -hmm. But without mm -hmm. growing, and if your relationship, you feel that, like it's it's staying or like you feel it's still, well, ask yourself some questions, you know? Mm -hmm. um, a relationship, it's a journey. It's a journey until until you die, until the other person's die, until you die as well. 
uh, because you said yes in front of of God in the good and in the bad um, mm. and Sickness forever. And exactly, yep. exactly. And, and I'm not a parent yet. You know, you're a parent. You're you're you have two mm-hmm. children, and I'd really be interested in hearing your perspective on this. But I think one of the ways where we see our need to grow most is that no one is born a parent. No, nope. you have to learn how to parent. You have to learn because all of a sudden now you have to teach this yeah. new human being, your son, your daughter. You know, even something as basic as like, how do you use a spoon? You know, like, (laughs) believe me, I would love to have that Bible for parents. I mean, if that, well, to be honest with you, the Bible, because I do have my Bible just right beside my bed, but the Bible, there's some, there's a lot, a lot of tips and tricks for parents there. You just have to read it. Tell us more. Tell us more. What have you discovered? (laughs) How, how has Mary Bell grown as a parent, you know, with these two beautiful <laughs> kids that God's given you, what's it been like to, to be growing, learning how to be a parent? To be honest with you, when you have, you know, like you said, it's true. There's no book, right? Real book, let's say. They're trying to, you know, give you a book. But, you know, the sentence they say, you know, my kid changed me. Mm. My kid. And it's really, really that if um, through prayer a lot, um, I discover that I had to do some work, uh, some work on on me. Mm. Um, my kids showed me, you know, I, w- I wasn't patient at all, but my kids showed me another level of patience mm. that that by learning that level, I can apply that in my everyday life, in my re- relationship with my daughter, my with my boy, in my relationship, with, especially with my husband. Mm. Um, because if we're, if I work on myself, I know the rest of my family is going to be happy too as well. Mm. Uh, but yes, there's so much to learn, um, especially by being a mom, being a dad, uh, because kids are showing us the way. Believe me, kids are showing us the way. Mm. We just have to be so attentive and not get distracted because we're also we're us. We're tired. We're distracted. We're all, you know. But it's so interesting how if you're really attentive, your kids are showing you the way and how you should not just be, but or how you should become as a human being as well. A better one, not just for the love of your kids, but for the love of the, the family, the rest, the, any relationship. How many things, believe me, <laughs> I needed to mm-hmm. understand, especially with my little five-year-old, because the other one is a baby, but <laughs> with my five-year-old, um, she at the beginning I was a lot of you know about me everything was about me centering myself it was Mm. just me 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 and I didn't want to lose me as a woman Uh, Mm. but the love um, that I that this little girl just showed me through the months through the years because it took me years uh, to Mm. understand that it's Mm. beyond powerful that's why I say Love is powerful, friends. <laughs> Love is mm. powerful. But it's again, same thing as marriage. It's not it, it like it's it's not gonna happen like this. It's a mm. journey. It's a journey. It's a real journey. Mm. But yes, now if if we talk about the, exactly this journey, which is so interesting, because when we uh if we go a little bit back about marriage, uh if we 
talk about, you know, we say, well, some people are scared. Some people like they don't want to commit. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to move forward. Because they think about sexuality, you know, they think mm. about that theme. And I don't want to go like into like morals and stuff and what you should do. But what, how can um, we have peace? Because hmm. that's a, you know, sexuality. Yes, it's there. We're, we're humans, right? We're, we're humans. And, um, but how can we have peace in our heart uh, when we're thinking about that? When we're like, okay, um, hmm. you know, there's, I'm hearing a lot of things concerning sexuality. What should I know? What what are the important um, points, let's say, about sexuality in my, mm-hmm. you know, in my marriage or even, you know, before marriage? What should I understand about that in the Catholic, um, mm-hmm. in my religion, you know, in my Catholic faith? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think there's really, unfortunately, we could talk about like a hypersexualization of our society. That's true, you know, like you can barely leave the grocery store without seeing (laughs) scantily clad, you know, Mm -hmm. models on your way out. And yet at the same time, it's not just that sexuality is becoming more and more present around us, but the even bigger problem is that sexuality is being degraded. And the two go together because what's all around us is a very cheap kind of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Christopher West would talk about kind of like a fast food kind of sexuality. And we're in many ways kind of a fast food culture, a fast food society. We want everything right away. We don't want it to cost too much. We want it to taste good. We don't necessarily think about the kind of effects that it has on us long-term. What kind of effect does it have on who we are, on our, on our, on our insides, let's say, whether it's a a Big Mac, or some of these kind of cheap forms mm-hmm. of sexuality. But I think what's really, really important is that we have kind of a paradigm shift from seeing these kinds of things through the eyes of guilt, like, oh, you shouldn't do this, or I feel guilty about this, or, you know, even in the Bible, you know, one of the, the names for the devil is the accuser, the one who loves to accuse us the one who makes us feel awful about ourselves. That's not God. God doesn't make us feel depressed about who we are. God doesn't make us lose hope because of our mistakes. God is the opposite. God lifts us up. God draws us forward. He picks us up, takes us by the hand. He walks forward with us step by step, you know, like a good father with his little son or daughter. You know, When your son or daughter, you, know, you who have one of each, falls, you know, especially when learning to walk, you don't scold them. Hey, you know, why did you fall down? You're not supposed to fall down. You're not allowed to fall down. No, you pick them up. Maybe you take them in your arms. Then you help them to walk even better than they were before. So I think sexuality, especially in the light of the gospel, in light of our faith as Christians, has to be seen really in that light as a path towards greater freedom as a path towards greater peace, the word you use, as a path by which we become able to receive and give this kind of spousal love to which God calls us. You know, whether we're married or not, God calls us to have relationships 
that reflect his faithfulness, that reflect his freedom, that reflect his fruitfulness. You know? And I think oftentimes we just see these things as don'ts and then we want to rebel against them. Mm-hmm. You know, some real, some real issues in our day today, you know, like pornography, mm-hmm. masturbation, these kinds of things. So we can take an approach that says, well, these things aren't really important. Like uh, you can do them as much as you want. It has no real effect on you. You know, we say that about very few things actually in life. Mm-hmm. No one would say you can eat as many chips as you want and it will have no effect on you. No one would say you could smoke as many cigarettes as you mm-hmm. want and have no effect on you. We see the effect when it's physical, you know, when mm-hmm. it's visible. For some of these spiritual things, we have more difficulty seeing it. So instead of seeing these things as like, oh, big no-nos, you're an awful person. If you, you know, No, see them as things that actually weaken our capacity to walk forward on the journey of love. You know, they're like pebbles that accumulate in our shoes mm-hmm. that make it more difficult and more painful to actually be able to walk forward. And I think, you know, if we take this fast food approach to sexuality, it doesn't just have an effect on us, you know, it has an effect on the kind of relationship that we can build with other people. So I would say, you know, bear in mind the person that you want to love, the people that you really want to love well in life, and let that be your motivation for how you navigate through some of these, you know, beautiful but sometimes choppy waters of sexuality. The next thing I would say is I think we really need to discover the beauty, the value, the vocation of sexuality in our life as Christians, in our life as human beings. You know, seeing sexuality with God's eyes, God created sexuality. God created us man and woman. And somehow mysteriously, he said that the fact that we are men and women, that we are people with a sexuality, every person you know, made with this sexual identity, somehow that reflects who he is. Somehow the image of God is in our masculinity and our femininity, and most of all, when those two come together. You know, we see that already in the first pages of the book of Genesis. And then what do we see all the way the other end of the Bible, in the final chapters of the book of Revelation, this amazing, unimaginable, eternal wedding feast between Jesus yep. and the entire universe so god who comes to marry us and who calls us to have relationships with each other in which his love is present and alive in us as a way of moving us forward to this ultimate union between him and everything that he has created it's so beautiful what you said because at the end Yes, it's a relationship with you, your your spouse, your husband, wife. But at the end, it's a relationship between God. I mean, without that relationship, oh man, everything will be so it's it's so much harder and it's tough. 
at the end, it's that. And, and this is that I think I personally want to encourage people that 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 relationship, the first relationship you should have right now, it's you and God. And then that help is going to help you to discern what all these topics that we did, that, that we just talked, because these are important topics and they're, they're necessary and it's normal. It's just normal to have all these questions. Julian, before leaving, uh, finish this thing, uh, this, this podcast, do you have something else to say to these adults about the theme of love? Well, I, I, there are two things that I'd like to share. Uh, and one of them is from the gospel, and the other mm -hmm. one is from Pope Francis. So I think I'll start with Pope Francis so that we end giving God the last yes. word, you know, from the word of God. And I think here, this is a, a quotation from Amoris Laetitia, which means the joy mm -hmm. of love. This is the document that Pope Francis wrote after the two synods that happened on the family. And those two synods in 2014, 2015, really talked about the gospel of the family, the good news of human love, of the love of husband and wife that then somehow, you know, beautifully, mysteriously gives life to other human beings, you know. And so here the Pope talks to us about how that love that's shared in the couple in marriage, in family, is meant to overflow into the world and transform the world. You know? So I want to share this with you. It's at paragraph 183 for anyone who's interested. If everyone wants to see, you can find it also in the, in the internet, guys. <laughs> exactly. For free on the Vatican website. Yes. <laughs> so. so Pope Francis tells us, a married couple who experience the power of love Know that this love is called to bind the wounds of the outcast, to foster a culture of encounter, and to fight for justice. God has given the family the job of domesticating the world and helping each person to see fellow human beings as brothers and sisters. An attentive look at the everyday life of today's men and women immediately shows the omnipresent need for a healthy injection of family spirit. Not only is the organization of ordinary life increasingly thwarted by a bureaucracy completely removed from fundamental human bonds, but even social and political mores show signs of degradation. For their part, open and caring families find a place for the poor, and build friendships with those less fortunate than themselves. In their efforts to live according to the gospel, they are mindful of Jesus' words, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. In a very real way, their lives express what is asked of all of us. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your kinsmen or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you will be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. You will indeed be blessed. Here is the secret to a happy family. So how are our families, not these little private 
cocoons that mm. separate us from the rest of the world, but rather how are our families places that are at the service of the common good of society, places that help society to be more fraternal, more loving, more human, more familial, because God's dream for humanity is that we all become one family, that we become his family, his sons and daughters, brothers and sisters of each other. And the family is like this beautiful hearth in which the fire of the Holy Spirit comes to warm us, to give us light, so that that light and that warmth can be shared and spread across the whole face of humanity. So when you're dating, when you start being with a person and all throughout your journey together, let's already have that in mind. That what we're called to here is to build a family together, a family in which God dwells, in which God is at home, and from which God goes out in us to be a leaven of love in the world. So the next passage that I would like to share with you is from John 2. It's the wedding feast at Cana. Mm. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and remained there. For a few days. As we conclude here, I just want to underline a couple points from this amazing moment in the life of Jesus. Mm. Here there are these jars, these six stone jars for purification. They're filled with water. Mm -hmm. But Jesus turns that water into wine. This is calling us to move from exactly what we've been talking about together, being set on becoming perfect, expecting that the other person become perfect, and rather opening ourselves to let God in, to let him turn our water into wine. And at the same time, that requires that we keep our jars full. As Jesus says, you know, fill the jars with water, fill them right to the brim. And once they're filled, then it becomes wine. Those little everyday things, those acts of service, those acts of giving of ourselves, 
of being faithful in season and out of season. That's the water of our lives. And Jesus comes to make that water into super abundant, amazing, fantastic wine. Mm -hmm. Now we know from history that in Jewish weddings, especially at that time, you know, put yourself 2,000 years back in Palestine, it was the bridegroom's job, the groom's job, to provide the wine. Now, who provides the wine here and who provides the best wine? The best wine that the steward has ever tasted? It's Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, who comes to be the spouse of humanity, who comes to love us, and who comes to love in us to make us more and more capable of loving one another. So thank you so much, Julian, and everyone. Be that wine. <laughs> Let yourself become that beautiful wine of love. Of, of it's and and yes, we're, we're water, but it's a beautiful transformation to become that wine because if we let, of course, God work, right? Because um, that's with like without God's work, we we cannot just improve and we cannot. Um, grow like we already talked about but thank you so much thank you so much julian for everything for all your kind kind words and for your not shilling, sharing with us your knowledge of course so god thank bless you, so you much mary bell thank you bless your family bless your mission bless your work and it's always so good to be with you and i hope we'll have another chance to talk again and god bless all of you listening at home god bless all right that's it for this week's episode my friends if you have questions about anything we've spoken about here on the podcast today, I would love to hear from you. You can always connect with me on social media. I'm Maribel Mayorga on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But for now, I want to thank you so much for being part of today's journey. And I'm really grateful that you chose to spend your time with me. God bless you.